like we got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. that. We don't got time for that. All right? Let's go. Break it. Break it. Let it cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Hey, what's happening? Welcome in to another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk. I am Derek Johnson once again solo today here on RCST. Happy June to you. We are going to be joined by Jamie Bermel, the head coach of the KU men's golf team at 345. We'll get to the bottom of I, I know this is a big thing. People want to know, you know, what's up with the uh, when will all that slick KU golf gear be available to the masses? We'll get to the bottom of that. I, I don't know if Jamie will have an answer. He's, he's just the coach. He doesn't provide the apparel, but um, I know that is a question for a lot of people. We're going to have our KU mailbag, which you can get your questions in at D Johnson Radio on Twitter. Um, you can also shoot us a text on our text line, 785-843-1321. And uh, we're also going to be joined by Mike DeCourcy of Sporting News. Just wrote a really good piece about the one-and-done era and how those teams have kind of done and that a lot of times we kind of get stuck in this notion of, well, if they didn't win a title, like it's not a success. You can't win with it. But in reality, there's been even more success for those teams than a lot of other teams. So talk about that with Mike DeCourcy coming up at 440, and I think that's interesting for KU because next year's team is going to be really young, right? And we've seen a lot of years where a uh, Bill Self coach team with more experience has had a lot more success than a younger team. Um, that's not the be-all, end-all because, you know, the younger teams that Bill Self has had, there's probably a lot less than the more experienced teams. And it also, you know, to be a one-and-done quote-unquote team, it can't just be a young team. It's got to be a really talented team. That's probably how this team is. Uh, nonetheless, today is decision day for the NBA draft. I've seen most players have made their decision at this point. The deadline is coming up tonight. It's a minute before midnight Eastern time, so 10.59 p.m. Central time here tonight. We've still not heard from Jalen Wilson or Kevin McCuller. Now, if you want to go down the line and talk about guys who are making decisions that could possibly be of interest for KU as far as the transfer portal goes, if one of those players in Wilson or McCuller ends up not deciding to come back to school and KU has an open scholarship, uh, Keon Brooks has decided to, to come back from the NBA draft. He was the starting four-man for Kentucky. He, he torched KU and Allen Fieldhouse, hit a bunch of mid-range jumpers. And if Jalen Wilson were to go, obviously there's not um, I guess an immediate option or, or an obvious option who would play the four, you could say, well, they'll play one of the young freshmen with Grady Rice or, or I'm sorry, Grady Dick or MJ Rice. Um, you could play Kevin McCuller down there. You could play KJ Adams down there. But there's not as obvious of a decision of who plays all of those minutes because if Jalen comes back, he's probably playing 30 to 35 minutes at the four. So that's a lot of minutes to fill. Keon Brooks plays the four. Now he's more of a traditional four that, can stretch it a little bit, but isn't someone like in the ilk of Jalen where he's going to grab and go a lot, right? Um, now, I think if, if you were looking at other guys like Courtney Ramey, too, decided he's coming back. He 
has not decided where he's going to play college basketball, but he is coming back from the NBA draft. He's certainly one that I would keep an eye on if if one of McCuller or Wilson ends up staying in the NBA draft. Isaiah Mosley, another guy, has decided to come back. Missouri State, 20 points per game, had a couple 40-point games, has ties to Dwan Harris and Christian Brown from AAU or high school days. He would be one I'd keep an eye on. Those are probably the three that I'd keep an eye on. I don't know, maybe a guy like Pete Nance if he decides to come back. I haven't seen a decision from him. He was a uh, Northwestern big man, like 6'10", 225-pound forward, who was a uh, really good player for them. So those are all decisions I I guess I'm sort of monitoring as well, although most of them have already made their decision. But it all just comes down to what happens with Kevin McCuller and Jalen Wilson. We've spent a lot of time talking about would KU kind of show someone the door or would that be implied if KU brought on one of these big-time transfers in that one of these guys who is saying, you know, maybe I can compete to be in the rotation this year. And now all of a sudden you bring in a transfer over me. Okay. I I see the writing on the wall. I'm going to transfer somewhere else. That hasn't happened yet. And there's only so much you can do. If I I don't think the coach actually has the ability to like pull the scholarship. I could be wrong on that, but I've always, you know, I guess kind of like kicking a guy off the team is a little bit different. And there are certain ways you can play it, right? You can say, okay, well, if you want to stay on the team, that's fine, but you're not getting any minutes. But what happens if the the kid is just like, okay, I don't care. I'm going to prove you wrong, right? There's, there's, I don't think really anything you can do about that. Um, not to say that's that's what's happening for KU. I'm just generally talking about the fact that if McCuller and Jalen Wilson come back, because that would fill you up on scholarships, that is the offseason. Essentially, that would be all the portal diving that KU would have done this year, getting Kevin McCuller, and that's fine. You have so many players coming back. You have a talented freshman class coming in. At that point, if Jalen Wilson comes back, you have a guy who is going to be one of the top two or three contenders for Big 12 player of the year, at least how we view it heading into the preseason. I want to take a kind of full scope look of these guys' decisions that are in front of them. So in the case of Kevin McCuller, um, I, I looked at The Athletic, ESPN, CBS Sports, a couple different sites that you can just find like top 100 big boards. The last one released from The Athletic was a month ago. So this was before the NBA draft combine. And for McCuller, He's probably dropped a little bit since then, but he was ranked 52nd. So that would put you in a situation where you'd almost think, do you go? But, you know, you also wonder, like, part of this discussion isn't just would they be drafted or not. It's how much could they gain by coming back and getting better and, and showing something and then go, right? like, perfect example, Ochag Baji, right? He was maybe a mid-second round pick, maybe undrafted after his junior year. And then he comes back, he turns into a first-round pick. Christian Brown, meanwhile, stays in the draft. Sure, he could have come back and done what Ochai did and ended up being a lottery pick, but he might already be a first-round pick to begin with now, so that might not be worth the risk. Um, A guy like Kevin McCuller, even if he is 52nd, which, by the way, CBS Sports had him at 42nd, but ESPN doesn't even have him in the top 100. So it's kind of hard to, to gauge where his value is, right? And, and that's one of those where it's probably just beauty is in the eye of the beholder. There might be five teams that love him. There might be 10 teams that are like, no, we're not drafting him. There might be another, you know, 15 or like, we'll give him a two-way maybe. I, I, you don't know how that works. But um, the thing with Kevin McCuller is because he had to deal with those injuries and because he didn't have the most efficient offensive season, he is a guy that I look at and say that, you know, if he comes back to school, 
And this isn't just about the money conversation. We know now that with NIL, especially at a place like Kansas, especially when you're just coming off winning a title, if you're one of the best players on the team, you're going to make a good amount of coin on NIL. But it's also about if Kevin McCuller comes back, playing on this big stage at KU, and we already know he is one of the best defenders in the country. Again, he was the most versatile best defender on a Texas Tech team that literally had the number one defense in the country, according to Ken Palm's adjusted defensive efficiency. So you already know you have that. The NBA, they love wings. They love guys who can defend multiple positions. You can never have enough of them. And if that guy comes back, and if Kevin McCuller goes out there and shoots 38% from three with KU, and he averages 12, 13 points per game and shows the ability to play in transition and, and be that kind of extra ball handler and switch one through four on KU's defense, even though he just switched one through five pretty much at Texas Tech. Like, there is a real conversation that you get there where Kevin McCuller, like, could raise his game to being a first-round pick next year. Like, that's not out of the question given the type of player that he is, what NBA teams are looking for, and if some of maybe more of the questions about his game come together. And you see the kind of ups and downs of where he's ranked on those different lists. It just, it seems, and again, I, I'll say this one more time. Today's the last day I can say it because we're still waiting on the decision. Why go through the trouble of committing to KU, of committing to uh, a team inside your own conference, getting all this vitriol from the fan base that you spent three years with? And, and yes, it was ridiculous that you get all that to begin with. But you knew it was going to happen. So why risk that? Why kind of, I guess, like, I don't think it does tarnish what you did at Texas Tech, and it shouldn't. But from certain Texas Tech fans' perspective, I'm sure they look at it and say, yeah, this does tarnish what we remember you at as at Texas Tech, as, as dumb as I think it is. Um, so why go through that? Why go through the risk of all that? And then you add on that fact that it does feel like Kevin McCuller, in my eyes, again, if he comes back and does some of those things and shoots the ball well and has a good offensive season, there's no reason he couldn't be a first-round pick. In the case of Jalen Wilson, this one's tough as well. Um, you have the athletic where he was not ranked in the top 100, but again, that was before the NBA draft combine when he seemed to rise up. I would imagine he would be in the top 100 now. ESPN, he's ranked 88th. That's post-combine. CBS Sports, not ranked. Uh, CBS only goes to the top 75, so who knows? He could be like 76. But let's say he's just 88 like ESPN, right? That's kind of tough to figure out where the, I guess, um, cutoff is for what guys would get a two-way contract. There's 58 draft picks this year. But realistically, the teams who were going to pick 59 and 60 that had to forfeit their draft picks are in situations where, um, you know, they'll just, it, it, it'll essentially, even though it'll be an undrafted free agent pickup, it'll basically be like their other second round pick at that point um, because they'll just give out an extra two-way. But I don't know how many on average teams give out two-ways every year because the two-way contract that allows you to kind of bounce between the G League and the NBA and expands the NBA rosters, it's, you only have two of them. And it's allowed to be used on first couple year players. So it's not like every two-way deal automatically goes to 
that year's draft class. A team could say, we want to use both our two ways on guys who were in the previous year's draft class, and we're not even going to have a single guy in a two-way this year. So on average, I don't know how many guys get a two-way. Does that mean that you have to extend down 30, you know, if you just average if, if every team had one guy on a two-way outside of the draft, then basically you need to be top 90, or in this year, um, top 88. But again, I think they would just have those extra guys as undrafted free agents. So you need to be top 90 to secure a, a two-way contract. And it seems like Jalen's kind of right on the cusp there. But going back to the conversation of how much can their stock raise up, Whereas I see Kevin McCuller and I see the way that the NBA values things and I see if he comes back and does this and that, he could be a first-round pick. I, I think Jalen can obviously improve his draft stock. Like, that's that's not even a question. Of course he can come back. Of course he can shoot well from three after shooting sub-30% this past season. And, of course, he can be the leader of a team, and that'll do wonders for you, especially at a school like Kansas. And, yeah, I think Jalen could work himself into being a, in a position where you know, if he comes back and wins Big 12 Player of the Year, he's an All-American. Yeah, he does get drafted into the NBA. But I don't think the line there for Jalen when you're kind of a, an undersized four, um, oversized three, but that isn't like super twitchy athletic or the super long wingspan is a first-round pick. So if the ceiling there is being a second-round pick at some point, does he just consider, okay, I go now? And again, this ties back in the NIL conversation where you'll, if you're Jalen Wilson, probably make more money at KU on NIL than you would on a two-way deal. But that's something you have to consider there. So as far as these guys go, where I'm leaning right now, I said yesterday I had Jalen 51-49 coming back. I had Kevin McCuller like 60-40, something like that. I think I'm going into today, I'm feeling more confident in Kevin McCuller. I'm going 70-30. As far as Jalen goes, I'm leaning a little more. He's coming back. It's funny how this stuff fluctuates when nothing really happens. Like, there's no new reports. There's no new. It's it's just like a, a gut feel type of thing, right? I think I'm up to 55-45 Jalen comes back. We had Matt Tate on yesterday, and he, uh, he said his gut feel was that he just, I don't know, maybe that Jalen is gone. Today, though, Matt wrote a piece for the LJ World that he thinks Jalen is back. And it's not, I'm not like calling out Matt or anything. Like, again, decisions, like things change. You hear more information. You, you have a different gut feel specific days. The reason I bring that up is because, you know, now that I, I guess, because it is decision day, like, you know, it's, you got to make a final call on it. I, I think that Matt knows what he's talking about. And, you know, I, I think that, makes me further believe that Jalen Wilson is is probably coming back. But again, we don't totally know, and we have, what, seven and a half hours, something like that, to uh, totally figure it out. Maybe it'll break at some time during the show. Maybe it'll break after. We'll get to it whenever it does. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Uh, we have some Chiefs audio to share for you throughout the show. Jamie Bermel joins the show in about 25 minutes. Mike DeCourcy at 440. We'll be right back after this timeout on RCST. Did you know that on our website, klwn.com, as well as our sister stations, 1059kissfm.com, bull929.com, we have a program called Hometown Deals. So you click the tab, and it takes you to a magical place where gift cards are 50% off. 
we have handfuls of different restaurants and places that you can go to that you can get a 50% off gift card too. So just go to the website, click hometown deals, and you'll see some of those gift cards for 50% off. If you're a business and interested in being part of this as well and getting featured ads at no cash price and just gift card cost, shoot us an email, djohnson at gpmnow.com. Welcome back. Quarter till here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Wanted to make a quick note. Jalen Wilson just tweeted out 5 p.m. Central Time. So I'd imagine we're going to find out what Jalen Wilson is doing at 5 p.m. Central Time. We're joined now, though, by Jamie Bermel, the head coach of the KU golf team, the KU men's golf team. Uh, you guys just wrapped up a phenomenal season, making it to the NCAA tournament, finishing in the top 20 there of the uh, NCAA finals there. Uh, how much fun was this past season for you and, and for all your guys and, and how things finished for everyone? Yeah, you know, it was a, it was a lot of fun. It was an incredible season. Um, had a lot of wins, uh, both team, uh, three different individuals, won, um, advanced the finals, just missed out on, on the cut and getting down to 15. But, uh, you know, I haven't had a whole lot of time to reflect on it, but it, it's it, it was a great season, and um, hopefully uh, some momentum for the program uh, moving forward as well. Talking with Jamie Bermel here, um, do you have a favorite moment or favorite memory from over the course of the season, whether it was in a tournament, whether it was just at practice, just traveling with, with all of the the different members of the team. Is there something that sticks out to you uh, from this past season? You know, uh, there's a lot. Um, I think the second round at, at, at regionals, um, Callum Bruce, too sick to play. He was battling a virus the week before. We tried to play him the first round. He just simply ran out of gas and, you know, lo and behold, we have a sub, and we 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 call in Davis Cooper, who uh, he was in and out of the lineup. He actually won in the fall. Um, sophomore for us from Kansas City, he stepped up and shot 70, 71, I believe, the second round. And, and you know, just you talk about pressure, you talk about coming up big for the team. I think that. I think that moment really kind of talks a lot about our program, who we are and what we do. And um, that was, that was certainly big for the program. You know, when we think of being a head coach in like football, you're maybe calling plays or organizing things on the sideline or in you know, baseball, you're making lineup decisions. So what goes into to being a head coach on the golf side of things? How different is it from some of those other sports? You know, coaching golf, the scores are a pretty good indicator, but that's not the only indicator of who can play, all that stuff. So it's it's about finding the right lineup. It's about preparing everybody individually. So uh, collectively, we're ready to play. And you know, you have different personalities. It's it's a individual sport in college played as a team so there's a lot of dynamics there um you know the best uh the best situation you have is, is 
everybody gets along great and you know that that's always easier to coach but uh sometimes that's not always the case i think this year it was everybody seemed to get along great and kind of rolled with the punches you know we're coming out of covid and all that stuff and um so it it it, uh they were a fun group to be around um i don't think anybody took themselves too seriously so uh that's good and bad uh per se but just a lot of fun a lot of fun we always hear and, and see wherever you go jayhawks always travel really well um was that noticeable for you guys at the NCAAs, the support and the fanfare that you all were getting in relation to some of the other schools? No question. You know, and I, I don't know if it's because of the uh, crimson and blue. It's an easy color to pick out. But um, whether you're coming down 9 or 18 uh, at Greyhawk, there seems to be, you know, there's – there's chairs, there's uh, bleachers, uh, there's a lot of fans. And uh, it, it almost felt like a home event where there were so many people there and uh, people that I'd never seen before. You know, sometimes you see some of the same people because they live in the area and they come out and support that tournament every year. But, uh, you know, we had quite a few fans. Uh, along with parents, uh, Russ and Linda Sims, you know, they travel uh, with us two or three times a year. And, you know, Linda was a swimmer here, but just loves supporting the Jayhawks. And uh, they were down at regionals and said to us, we will, we will be at the final. And, and they certainly were. So it was cool to see. Uh, we typically, as, it, as golfers, you, you don't play Unless you play on the PGA Tour, you don't play in front of a lot of fans. But, uh, you know, we had a great following, and it was fun to watch. Harry Hillier put on quite the performance for you guys in both the events uh, last week as well as over the course of the season. What made him such a good golfer for the Jayhawks? You know, he's experienced. He's very talented. Uh, You know, we got the very best or are very good out of Harry the first round and not so good the second. And then in typical Harry fashion, he comes back in the third round and, and really plays well, makes a hole in one, but you know, he's, a, he's a veteran. He's been here five years, used his COVID year, played with his brother a couple years, older brother, Charlie. So, uh, you know, you always had the brother competition and, uh, you know, as the younger brother, he always wanted to prove that he was the best because growing up, you know, he's younger, so he wasn't the best. But, uh, you know, those two can fight over who the best is. But Harry had a he had a great career for us and uh, makes a hole-in-one the third round in typical Harry fashion. You know, I think he's made two in, in college golf. So fun to watch. I didn't see it. I heard the yelling going on because I was in the group behind him. But, uh Obviously, you know, hole-in-ones don't come easy, but, you know, to make it in the national championships is very, very cool. Yeah, what what typically do you see for guys who, uh, like, for instance, Harry, um, as far as improvement from when they come in uh, 2KU to where they finish? Because I, was, I, I would imagine, you know, again, like, make it a cross-court or sport comparison, like with football, you have so much weight training and stuff you need to do to 
go from the high school level to the collegiate level. I, I don't know how much of it is that, but like, what what are the things that you're most trying to refine with players when you get them out of high school into what they eventually become by the time they graduate from KU? Sure. You know, uh, some of it's uh, getting stronger in the weight room. Uh, some of it is course management, managing your golf ball, managing your emotions better. Um, you know, for those guys that are third, fourth, and fifth-year players, they have a distinct advantage uh, during the season because we play, you know, we play probably four to six tournaments every year that we've played the year before. So, you know, they've been around the course a time or two. Uh, you know, for Harry, he's played at Iowa four years so he knows that he knows Finkbine golf cart course fairly well um so the experience factor there getting under the gun and you know playing college golf is a different experience there's more pressure there's you know it's just a different feel so you know as you bring them along and they mature and and you know work on their wedges and and be you know become better overall players I, i i just think they keep making steps and and hopefully by the time, you know, the end of the season rolls around, they're, they're at the top of their game uh, year in and year out. So there's a lot of factors that go into that. Um, and Harry's a prime example. He wasn't ready when he was a freshman, couldn't, couldn't control his driver, had a lot of speed, but couldn't, couldn't keep it in the fairway. And it's really matured his game and managed his game and become a really, really good player for the Jayhawks. I know a lot of people have been asking questions about uh, this. You guys have some of the slickest KU gear there is for the golf team in general, whether it's, you know, the hats, the polos, whatever. Um, When is this stuff going to be available, man? We got to get this stuff out to the masses. People love your guys' gear. Yeah, I I, I get it. And (laughs) and I I, I wish I had a had an answer of when we've been working tirelessly on it. Uh, and it's a great problem to have, you know, when we pick out our gear, we usually pick it out six to 12 months in advance and you never know what, what the kids are really going to like, or, or, you know, you didn't, I guess I didn't realize we were going to win five times and get all the (laughs) traffic on social media and all that stuff. But it's a very hot ticket item, which is great. Uh, I wish I had a thousand of those rope hats in my office, uh, but I don't, uh, but hopefully they're coming. Um, you know, Adidas, their golf line is, is not as big as the Adidas shoe line, you know, for other sports. So, uh, with, with COVID and, and the supply chain issues, it, it's been, uh, it's been kind of crazy, but hopefully, uh, hopefully we can get some product out to the public because I know there's some demand. Yes, there certainly is. Well, uh, last thing I got for you, and this is just more of kind of a personal question for you. I, I don't know how often you have time to get out and play um, with, you know, doing the coaching side of things. But uh, as far as uh, I'm sure you've been to a lot of different places in the country, just traveling with the team or whatever it is, do you have a favorite course um, somewhere in the country that you've played? And do you have a, a white whale, like a, a course that you've always wanted to play that you haven't gotten the chance to yet? You know, uh, kind of my favorite, um, I think it's Pebble Beach, just because of the scenery. I've never played it. I've watched the U.S. Open out there. Um, you know, in the fall, 
spend our season in Maui at Kanapali. And uh, I, I played that course. My wife and I uh, it stayed a week later and played. I'm not a great golfer, but I, I certainly enjoy playing. But I think Kanapali and, and the views that you get uh, out in Hawaii, I, I've been around to a lot of places, uh, but that seems to stick out in my mind. I've, I've been to St. Andrews for the British Open. I'd, that would be on the bucket list to play as well. But uh, it's amazing in college, the college golfers, how many different courses in different states and where we go and uh, abandoned dunes. That's a special place if you're a golfer. You know, five different golf courses up there. And I think our guys have played all five of them, at least three or four of the guys, because we went in 2020, I believe, uh, and made it back there again this year. So, unbelievable places. Uh, but I think Pebble Beach would probably be my favorite. He is Jamie Bermel, head coach of the KU men's golf team. Coach, congratulations on all the success you guys had this season. And uh, we look forward to getting all that golf, golf apparel on the on the shelves at some point here. But uh, good luck headed into the offseason as well into next year. Thanks, Derek. I appreciate it. All right, that's Jamie Bermel, head coach for the KU men's golf team. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Truck Sports Talk. One hour down, two to go. We'll be back after this. Time out on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN, depending on it. We are brought to you by Homefield Apparel. Homefield, a premium collegiate apparel brand out of Indianapolis, has incredibly comfortable, officially licensed apparel with vintage college designs because they dig through the archives of your school to find unique logos, mascots, and moments. The Kansas Collection has 14 pieces of apparel, including T-shirts, hoodies, crewnecks, and they are some of the most comfortable things that you will wear. Plus, they look really cool. And they just released, well, not just, but after the national championship, they released a national championship shirt. Use the code ROCKCHALKSPORTSTALK. That's ROCKCHALKSPORTSTALK, all one word, and you'll get 15%, 15% off your first order. That's right. Code Rock Chalk Sports Talk, all one word for 15% off with home field apparel on your first order. Four o'clock hour. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Um, we're going to have Mike DeCourcy of Sporting News join the show in about 35 minutes. But once again, I uh, didn't want to gloss over that too much, but we just had a guest on right there. Once again, Jalen Wilson. Took to Twitter, said 5 p.m. Central Time. That's all he released. So is he going to see a showing of Top Gun 2? Which, by the way, I saw last night. Everyone on Twitter after they saw it was like, oh, my gosh, this movie was incredible. So I didn't want to, you know, be cliche and do the same thing. But I, I thought about it because that movie was absolutely incredible. One of the most fun, like, in-theater watching experiences that I've had in in a little bit of time. It's It's been a while since I've had that much fun, like, actually going to the movie theater and watching the movie. Nonetheless, um, Jalen will basically assumedly be announcing at uh, 5 o'clock. I'll say this in the same light of what I've been saying about, you know, why go through the trouble of committing to KU if you're Kevin McCuller. This doesn't mean all. You know, it could just be he's crafting his message and, and wants it to be heartfelt and thank KU for his time there and winning the title and stuff. But if you were announcing that you were going to go to the NBA draft, I would think that you would just, you know, just just post it and let it fly announcing a time when you're going to announce to almost build up the hype makes me think even more that Jalen Wilson probably coming back 
So I'm changing my percentage again. I was 51% yesterday is coming back, up to 55 earlier. Now I'm up to 65%. How about that? So uh, we'll let you know whatever happens uh, in our first segment in the 5 o'clock hour. Hopefully that it's up there by then. But we have a uh, another KU mailbag for this week, and we'll try to get to all these questions. I can't promise that we're going to get to all of them. If we don't, we'll get to them next week. And feel free to keep asking questions at D Johnson Radio on Twitter, or you can hit us up at RCST1320 on Twitter, and uh, we'll get to them next week if we don't get to them this week. The first question, this one was from last week. Mr. Randolph, can Jalen Will can Jalen Daniels see yeah, Jalen Wilson in my head? Uh, can Jalen Daniels throw for 2,500 yards? Um, can he? Yes. Will he? Becomes a whole nother question because uh, we have not really seen that for KU football in recent years. Now, a big part of that is we just haven't seen the continuity of quarterbacks for KU. And like last year, for instance, the leading passer was Jason Bean. He had 1,250 yards, so just half of that. Um, season before. 2020, Jalen Daniels, 718. Now, that was a shortened season, but still, that wouldn't have been close in a 12-game season. Even Carter Stanley, who we think of as, as maybe having the best individual season for a KU quarterback since Todd Reesing, he had 2,664. So, like, he cleared that number, but it wasn't, like, by a very definitive margin. You go back even further, 2018, Peyton Bender had under 2,000. So, like, I, I could keep going here, but you get the point. Um, that it is very rare, uh, it has been rare over the last decade plus for KU football to have a quarterback get to 2,500 yards. You look at the style that this team is going to play. They're going to be a run-first team. That obviously lessens the ability to pass the football. But 2,500 yards in a 12-game season is is not that unattainable, and it shouldn't be for a college football program. That just kind of adds to the, I guess, I don't know, stink of what KU football had been over the last decade, but now you have a, a very competent coaching staff with Lance Leipold and, and a very competent scheme and everything. Um, you don't necessarily have the offense that makes you think, okay, it's spread, or you have this you know, all-American level receiver, you lose your top receiver in Kwame Lasseter. What young guys are going to step up? Is LJ Arnold going to take that next step? Or are you going to get something out of uh, the transfer from um, – Douglas Emelian from Minnesota. Like, you don't know a lot of the answers to that question. You should be able to average 200 yards passing per game, though, which 2,500 yards over a 12-game season, it's a little over that. It's basically like 209 yards per game. If Jalen Daniels is as good as we think from what he finished last year as, that shouldn't be an issue to get to that point. But then you go back to the question of how often have we seen stability at the quarterback position for KU? whether it's been just hitting a rough spot and getting benched for another guy, whether it's been um, getting injured at some point. And that, that's the big question there. You don't know a guy's health. I'll say this. If Jalen Daniels stays healthy, if Jalen Daniels plays all 12 games, I think he does hit that mark. He started the final three games of the season for KU. And he played most of the game against Kansas State. But let's just look at those final three. The final three games against Texas, TCU, and West Virginia, he threw for 202, 255, and 249. Overall, that's like 700 yards in three games. That puts you above pace to get to 2,500 yards. And having a full offseason as the guy, full offseason, I guess technically, you know, 
it's where it's kind of mum that maybe he's not the guy. Like, it is technically an open competition with him and Jason Bean. But most people are expecting it to be Jalen Daniels. I think that he will get there. And for KU to be as competent as I kind of think they could be and should be this season, a lot of people agree that they could win three, four games. I, I think that would almost have to happen, right? So, yes, if you guarantee me that Jalen Daniels plays 12 games, I think, yes, he should be able to throw for 2,500 yards, and I think he will in that situation throw for 2,500 yards. And if he doesn't, then that's not a good sign. Uh, next question from Brian. Any chance the final four floor from New Orleans ends up in Lawrence anytime soon? I tried to do a little digging on this. This goes up to one of those questions that I'm not probably privy to know. I would imagine it comes up at some point. Um, I did quick search on like what floors were available. I couldn't even find the 2021 floor available from the year before. That could just be because of COVID and everything um, dealing with that year. I think I found like a 2020 floor somewhere. So I don't know. In the next year, I would assume. I... I don't know how that works. Like, is it the NCAA's property? Is it KU's property? Does KU buy it and then sell it back to people? Uh, I wish I could tell you more, but uh, chalk that one up into I don't know. This one from Aaron, another chalk one up into I don't know. I, I tried to do some digging on this as well. Uh, Aaron was was part of RCST Trivia. In fact, he played Brian, who asked our last question in the second round. Two great contestants there. He said, while studying for trivia, I noticed Danny Manning started 146 out of 147 games in his career, and I couldn't find anything about the game he didn't start. It was in his freshman season in the first five to six games, I believe. Would love it if you could find out because it's still bugging me. I'm going to do more research on this. I'm going to ask some people um, and kind of ask around. I tried to do some research on my own. Unfortunately, there's just not the box score data available from a game-to-game -game perspective in those games in um, 1984 and I went back I found the they had you know a, a video up of KU's first game that season they played Maryland in the great Alaska shootout he started in that game so I know it wasn't that one my guess because it was his freshman year when he didn't start that game um, my guess would be that maybe it was senior day and they started a senior over him but I don't know that for sure I I, I did a bunch of digging sports reference through KU's website just trying to find old newspaper articles but there's only so much that's available there. So, uh, you know, next week we're going to have a bunch of former KU players in town with the Rock Chuck Round Ball Classic. Maybe one of them will remember the game that he didn't start. But Aaron, and if you're listening to this now, and whether it's Aaron or, or anybody who's in RCST Trivia, if we figure out the answer to that, uh, I'm probably saving that for trivia because that's going to be a great trivia question. So thank you to you, Aaron, for getting the, uh, the question there, I guess. Uh, this next one from Kyle, also a member of RCST Trivia. Convince me that Aaron Miles isn't the best in-family option for the most likely coach to succeed Bill Self. So I guess it depends what you mean by in-family. By in-family, do you mean it has to be someone who played under Bill Self to be a successor, like with Coach K, how it's John Shire, or with, uh, in the case of North Carolina, yeah, Hubert Davis wasn't a player for Roy Williams, but he was assistant coach for him for a decade is that what he means by that if that is what you mean then i i could see that being the case because otherwise you're looking at other guys on staff uh curtis townsend and um you know with, with i i don't know he's just an older guy in the case of like most of the assistants there now the younger guys and the same with norm he's an older guy as well to where you know 
whenever that opens up at the head coaching position, you expect it to be a younger guy. Brady Morningstar has some coaching experience elsewhere at like the JUCO level. And I forget if it was D2 or D3 at the school he was at in Texas. Um, he's uh, going as the director of ops, I believe, right now. I don't really see him being a future head coach at Kansas, but who knows? Uh, Jeremy Case, you know, same thing. I don't see him being the future head coach necessarily, but he is working his way on the staff and he's been in the program for a while. So who knows? You don't know where these guys are going to develop into in the next five, 10 years and if they're going to gain that level of a higher up assistant position or that level of, of trust being in the program for so long that you do kind of handpick your guy and hand it down. Uh, to be clear, I'm not a fan of, of just, hey, we have to keep it in the program. Go get the best guy, whoever that is. Um, but if it is in the program, yeah, Aaron Miles would make a lot of sense there. Um, if you want to go outside of the guys who are like currently on staff or played for Bill Self, I think Jacques Vaughn, if you want to keep it in the KU family, makes a ton of sense. Now, I know, can we just stop the, because I'm sure I'm going to hear from someone. What about Danny Manning? Okay, Danny Manning, great player, great dude. You know, he's had varying levels of success at certain stops coaching-wise. He's not had the level of success that you need to coach at the University of Kansas. So let's stop that right now. Same goes for when you hear about, like, Tad Boyle or Mark Turgeon. It's like Mark Turgeon just got fired at Maryland. So let's let's stop this conversation now. Jock Vaughn does not have the... Um, I guess, recent college basketball coaching experience. I think he was a head coach with the Magic for a while. They didn't do too hot, but also it's the NBA. We've seen John Calipari and uh, Rick Pitino struggle in the NBA and then do great in college. So I'm not really worried about that. Ma those Magic teams not playing super well, but the point is he does have NBA coaching experience. He coached with uh, Brooklyn for like an interim position a couple years ago. He's been an assistant in the NBA a while. He's the guy that I would look to when you always think of Kansas and, and just being a cerebral guy, uh, a very smart player. If you're keeping it in the KU family, because again, I I would say just go out and get the best guy. Who cares? But if you are keeping it in the KU family and it can be someone that's outside of like Bill Self, he would probably be my number one. Um, and think about it too. He played for Roy Williams. He's been in the NBA. You're probably going to have an, an open up court free flowing team that's going to be very fun to watch and is going to be entertaining like that's always a knock about well do you go for Tony Bennett but is that going to be kind of boring to watch well with Jock Vaughn I can't imagine you'd have that because you'd have the Roy Williams background the NBA background where it would be more open and free flowing but yeah Aaron Miles that's probably a good one as well uh, on the football front this one from Kyle as well it seemed for a while that we had some level of commitment to a spread offense however with multiple coaching searches we heard about the potential of the option offense being the great equalizer for a program like KU in the model of the service academies. While not an option offense, is that essentially what we're getting? We focused on a specific scheme and the horses in the backfield to pull it off, not to claim the quote-unquote schematic advantage, but with the continuity of the coaching staff, is that what we are seeing? You know, I, I hadn't really thought of it like that, but that's actually a good point. Um, every time KU is into a, a new coaching hire here with the, the struggles that they've had over the last decade plus, it's been the conversation of, well, if they're going to be this bad, just just hire someone who's going to run triple option. Sure, it, it'll limit your ceiling, but, you know, if it's getting you four, five, six, seven wins every year and you're different than all these other teams, like, that's all you need when you have a basketball program like Kansas. And that's all we're asking, make a bowl game. Um, I know a for people who have higher hopes and have seen KU go to Orange Bowls and, 
you know, be a top 10 team in, in the 95 season and uh, go to an Orange Bowl again like 30 years prior to that, you might say, yeah, but I want to have the, the potential for a higher ceiling. I know that we have shown a lower floor, but why not expect the best? And that if if you do become a triple option team and you're winning six and seven games every year, eventually you're going to be like, all right, now something has to change. We have to raise the bar even more, and then it's going to be a struggle if you get a new coach from there transitioning from that to something else. So what this current staff is doing is not running triple option. Um, and, and I think with that Jeff Munkin, who's the coach at Army, who runs triple option there, I, I think that was part of the plan. He was saying if I took this job, because if you remember, it was Jeff Munkin or Lance Leipold, that he was um, not going to run the option at Kansas. Because I think for a lot of donors – and stuff like that, like they view that from that standpoint of like, you don't want to get stuck in that triple option game. But what they're doing now, even though it's not triple option from that standpoint, what Kyle's basically saying, they're going to be a run first offense and they have all these running backs that they're going to be able to rotate through and they're going to try to, um, in the same light as the option, you know, be able to kind of bludgeon their way down the field, uh, move the chains, keep time of possessions that they can keep their you know, defense well-rested during the game and that you can make it a, a lower possession game because in a in a vacuum, most of the matchups the KU is going to play in the Big 12, maybe all of them are going to be against teams who are just as, if not more talented than them, right? As far as if you're looking at high school recruiting rankings and stuff. And so if you lower the amount of possessions, you increase the likelihood that one stop on defense or something like that could lead to a win. Army played Oklahoma a couple of years ago in the non-conference, and Army took Oklahoma to overtime. Oklahoma ended up winning, I think it was 28-21. Oklahoma scored touchdowns on, like, all of their drives, or, or all but one of their drives. But it was a lower possession game. Army converted on theirs. If they would have had 10 possessions each, then the distance between how good one team is over the other increases a little bit more. You know, you, you hear, like, Roy Williams playing all these... at this high-tempo style. And yeah, Roy Williams didn't win a title at Kansas. He never lost in the first round. You increase your margin of having an opportunity to get upset because there are more possessions involved in that specific way. So from the flip side for KU football, you want to lessen the amount of possessions. And from that standpoint, yes, I, I do agree that that is... I, is it intentional? Is it not? Like, that's what they were kind of doing at Buffalo. So... Um, it could just be that that's what they want to bring in, but it, it just makes a lot of sense to do that at Kansas, to kind of zig when other teams are zagging. A lot of the, these other teams, maybe they run spread or air raid or whatever it is. You know, you do something a little bit differently. You control the football. You try to do what you did that we saw from the KU-Oklahoma game earlier this past season where KU is just dominating the time of possession, keeping the Oklahoma offense off the field, and they almost pull an upset over a top, I think at that point, top five team uh, in the country. Uh, that's all we have for the KU mailbag today, at least to get time to Christy, Adam, Lane. Actually, I'll get to Adam's real quick because it's a quick one. Christy and Lane, we'll get to yours next week. Actually, no, I, I want to get to Lane's real quick. What's more likely for 2022-23? KU football reaching a bowl game or men's basketball repeating as national champs? Odds have KU men's basketball at 12-1. to 1. Um, As far as KU reaching a bowl game, I looked and on... ESPN's BPI, it has them reaching six wins 1.5% of the time. So actually, odds would tell you 
that it would be KU repeating as national champions. But out of my head, I just it's so hard to repeat as national champs that I think I would probably lean bowl game at that situation. Adam, uh, former co-host, asks, miss me. Yeah, I miss you. Uh, I don't, you know, i bored talking to myself over here. Although, thank you for all these mailbag questions. Christy, list your starting five. We'll get to that next week, which will be made easier after we hear from Jalen Wilson here coming up in a little over half an hour. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. We'll be back in about five minutes. Mike DeCourcy will join us in a little over 15. Joined now by a special guest here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. That would be one Mike DeCourcy of Sporting News. And Mike just wrote a great piece. You should go check it out. Kind of dispelling the the myth that you hear a lot when these one-and-done filled teams lose in whether it's the Elite Eight or get upset in the second round or something like that and that they don't work in college basketball because you know maybe we haven't seen one of them win a title since that 2015 Duke team, which feels like so long ago. And, and I've always thought that it's kind of silly that sometimes it gets pegged that way, that if you don't win a title and, and in this randomness of, of March Madness, it gets boiled down to that. So, uh, Mike, does this just seem like kind of a narrative that the people want to play into because, you know, they just want to kind of avoid this one and done thing and they want things back the way they were when guys were staying longer in college? Or I guess why, why do you think this perception is the way it is that these one and done teams are not having as much success as they actually are, as you kind of detailed in your story? Yeah, I've been sort of uh, mystified by the antipathy for the one-and-done since it was introduced. And, and it's, it's, a lot of it has been media-driven, but I don't think it's strictly media. I think there are certainly fans uh, who are opposed to it, too. I think there's this idea that if you didn't have the age limit, that everybody would stay three years or four years. And it's like, well, like did you sleep from 95 to 2006? <laughs> It, 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 that's that's the difference. It's either guys go out of high school, which is bad for basketball at all three levels in America, high school, college, NBA, it's bad for all of them. Uh, and Or you, ha- you have that or you have what we have now. You don't get to go back to 1992. That's not ever happening again. We're getting a little taste of that, a little bit, with more players like Oscar Shibway returning to college basketball because they can make money, more money, on name, image, and likeness than they can, let's say, on a two-way contract in the NBA slash G League. Uh, But you're never going back to Shaquille O'Neal playing three years of college basketball. It's not happening. So why is it bad to have Zion Williamson play one year or Anthony Davis play one year uh, or Andrew Wiggins play one year or Joel Embiid? Uh, I think that's been great for college basketball. I've gotten to cover those guys. I've gotten to see them play in college, and they've gotten to get be- they've got the opportunity to get better. Uh, as we saw with uh, Joel Embiid, what he was able to do, uh, his, if he had played his freshman year's NCAA tournament, we might have had uh, Bill Self's second title come a lot sooner than it did. Uh, so I, I, I think that because of that feeling of of negativity toward the one and done, this idea has developed that you, you, you have to have veterans. It's, you know, that's what it's all about. You got to get old. And that's the only way to win this thing. And, and so what I pointed, what I pointed out and proved statistically in the story is that that's it, really not the case. I mean, first of all, not very many teams can do 
this. Uh, it's, it's hard to get these players right now. Duke and Kentucky, to an extent, have cornered the market on having that many guys who are draft-worthy as freshmen. Uh, it's not easy to do that. But when they do, they've been really successful. And the idea that the, the, the veterans uh, are the way to go, it, it ignores the fact that there are, you know, there are like 75 teams trying to do it with veterans and two trying to do it with freshmen, so to speak. And so the numbers are, are, are always going to be, the, in terms of opportunities, are always going to favor the veteran teams. Uh, but in terms of success in the NCAA tournament, the, the veteran teams are not as successful as the one and dones are. Yeah, Bill Self says all the time, you love to have experience, uh, but he says talent trumps experience. The best thing you have is is talent or experienced talent. And um, I, I think that's the best way of putting it. Like, you think about it, if there's 358 teams and only two of them, because there's a finite amount of resources, essentially, with the kids who can actually be one and done, who are those high-level five-star recruits or whatnot. It's two versus 356 every year. So, uh, And even if you want to narrow it down and say, well, you know, 200 of those schools or 300 of those schools or whoever weren't actually going to win a title regardless, even if you just wanted to say the Power 5 or Power 6 or whoever, even if you said it's two and 60 teams, the odds that they even have two titles over the last decade, that's that's pretty uh, resounding that it has kind of worked. And, and it it just I go back to like, you know, you see the Zion Williamson Duke team in 2019. By all accounts, that is a successful season. You make the Elite Eight. You're the number one overall seed. Um, you win the ACC. Like, you do all these things. You win the ACC uh, title in, in the, the tournament. You do all these things. But because you don't win a title, it's not deemed a success. And it gets chalked up in the category of, oh, see, one and dones don't work because um, Kenny Goings hits a late three for Michigan State to advance. It just... It seems like all this boils back down to the fact of the NCAA tournament can just be so random. It, that, it's absolutely true. Uh, I mean, uh, Kentucky had uh, uh, two elite t- eight teams that were uh, that had multiple freshmen uh, that lost uh, one in overtime in the Elite Eight, the other on a buzzer shot in regulation. Uh, so you can come really close, as did uh, Duke. They just didn't, you know, they, they, they lost in the final seconds as well in 2019. I mean, that, that kind of thing happens. Uh, but I think that what, what really hit home to me was when I was trying to find a, a subset of teams of veteran based teams that you could use to compare to the one and done teams in terms of NCAA tournament success. I, I was trying to be fair in terms, you know, and I could have gone with the top 25 that were on one and dones or uh, the first four seeds in each region. I could have done, I could have, to, to make my argument look good, I could have done anything. But I started with the one and done, excuse me, the number one seeds that were not one and done. And how did they compare to the one and dones from any, you know, any part of the bracket, whether they were one seeds themselves, and there have been several, or twos or threes, or maybe they didn't even make it as uh, last year's Kentucky team didn't. Uh, so I compared all of those to, to the one seeds that weren't one and done. And the amazing thing was that all one and done teams basically produce better NCAA tournament results than one seeds do. I think that says it right there. I mean, you, you, you basically have uh, those teams that are one and done uh, performing in the NCAAs and doing better 
than number one seeds do. I, I can't imagine that, uh, that there's any better argument for the fact that if you're in a position to put together uh, a one-and-done group like that, that you're probably better off and probably have a better chance of winning it all. Yeah, and I think it's interesting, too, the kind of the chicken and egg factor here where it's like, um, like for instance, you, you brought up that 2013-14 Kansas team with, with Joel Embiid where if he's, he's healthy, who knows if they go on a run or, or what they do instead of losing in the second round to Stanford. And, you know, that team, like Wayne Selden, came in. He was the top, I don't remember, I think 15, top 10-ish maybe recruit in the country. And the expectation there is, well, that guy's going to be a one-and-done. And I think the, the plateau that you used in uh, the story here was teams with three or more one-and-dones on the roster. And so you had Wiggins, you had Joel Embiid, but they were missing that third guy. And that, that kind of becomes, I think, the interesting part to me of, you know, are they good because they got the third one-and-done where they got the third guy to perform at that high of a level where he was worthy to be a one-and-done? Or is it something that's just kind of baked into, um, you know, you bring in all these recruits and, and something happens with them? That, that's just kind of fascinating to me over what kind of breeds the success over making the whole one-and-done thing work at specific schools. Yeah, you know, I think I will say this, that I think that teams that have tried to do it with one player at a time have not done well. Uh, single one-and-dones do not have a great history. I, I think part of that is that usually when that's happened, it's been a circumstance where, uh, where the coach maybe wasn't that familiar with it, uh, didn't have that much experience with it. But it's not worked for Duke or Kentucky either. Because uh, Duke had uh, they, they had J- Jason Tatum in 2017 and lost in the second round to South Carolina. They had Jabari Parker in 2014, lost in the first round to Mercer. Uh, had Austin Rivers in 2012, lost in the first round to Lehigh. Uh, we saw uh, we saw Texas struggle with uh, singular, singular one and dones uh, over uh, Rick Barnes's final years. Uh, it, so it, it doesn't seem to work very well if that's all you get. Uh, if you get several of them, I think the level of talent sort of overwhelms uh, the opposition to an extent. Uh, but if you only have one, it's hard to mix that guy in with what you already have going. It just doesn't seem to have worked as well for anybody as it has, uh, as it has when you've had either none or, or a lot of them. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point that I hadn't really thought about. And it's tough too because if if you're a coach in college basketball and you know if if you have a top ten kid who says hey I want to come to your school you're not going to say no sorry we're we're not into the one and done game you're going to say okay you're talented like let's come get you um how much of because one thing that I I think we hear a lot with the whole one and done thing especially for you know that 2015 Duke team the 2012 Kentucky team who kind of become the proof of concept there with winning the title um, is that. Yeah, but it wasn't just the one and done. It was these veteran players. It was your Deron Lambs of Kentucky and your Darius Millers, and it was your uh, Quinn Cooks for Duke and stuff like that. Like, how much uh, do you think that has to matter into the one and done conversation? Like, do you have to have veteran players, or do you think that kind of gets overblown? Well, I mean, you have to have veteran players because you have to have five guys on the floor and probably seven guys in your rotation. So they're going to be there. I mean, no, I, even like even the Fab Five, which started by a freshman, uh, those guys won't. If even if they were transported to the modern era, those guys wouldn't have all been one and done. Uh, I, I maybe 
There would have been four if Jimmy King made a bad decision, uh, something like that. Uh, but Ray Jackson would, was a four-year guy. Uh, so, uh, so that wasn't – we have to have other guys. But what's happened in this construction of the narrative is that they, they've put this magical quality onto Quinn Cook and Darius Miller as if they had some sort of, like, uh, you know, dust, magic dust, or a wand, uh, like, you know, like Harry Potter that turned everybody else into <laughs> champions. It's, you know, I mean, they were terrific players. Quinn's been in the NBA, you know, uh, uh, Darius Miller was in the NBA. So they were obviously influential players. And Theron Lamb made some of the biggest shots of the championship game against the Jayhawks. Uh, but when it came down to the end, uh, you had the most outstanding player so dominant that he won the award despite only scoring six points in the final, Anthony Davis, and the guy who blocked the potential, I can't remember now if it was a game tie or a game winner, uh, but the, you know, the big block was Michael Kidd-Gilchrist. I think he took down Tyshawn, if I remember correctly, at the end. Uh, so yeah, those guys are the ones that make the difference-making plays. And they're the reason that you're in that position in the first place because their talent is so supreme. We're talking with Mike DeCourcy for a few more minutes of sporting news here. Um, this next year's Kansas team, I think, could be a, an interesting case study as, as far as this goes. Now, I don't know if they're quite going to have three one and dones. That might be a little much. Uh, but they do have four top 40 recruits. And, and I think the expectation with Grady Dick and MJ Rice is that they could be one and dones. We'll have to wait and see on like Ernest Dude and, and Zuby Edgefer. But. Um, nonetheless, it's going to be a very young team. Beyond those guys, you have you know Zach Clements, KJ Adams, guys like that who, yeah, they have spent a year in the program, but they didn't get a ton of playing time necessarily this past year. And I, I think this story um, almost has to give KU fans a little bit more. I, I mean, not that not that they're lacking hope. You just win a title, right? But um, I guess more expectation of what the season could be. But on the flip side of that. I think it's interesting to me because Bill Self, like you look at his best seasons, they've been with his most experienced teams. And so um, is that just a, a case of he hasn't had all these one and done? So, of course, for them to be better, they do have to be more experienced or what it's about. Um, or maybe it's just that, you know, as, as much as a lot of these one and done teams have had success, are there certain coaches that are just better at doing it than other ones? What do you kind of make of what this season could be for uh, KU upcoming? Well, you know, I, I think if, if, like, if, like, as I said, I mean, I know that they te- technically would not have been a one and done team um, if uh, if Joel had played that tournament, uh, both tournaments. I think he, he missed the uh, Big Twelve tournament as well. I, yeah. I think they would have been a one seed if he'd have played, and and I think they would have done extremely well that year uh, if he hadn't been injured. I mean, he was an extraordinary player and was getting better almost every time he walked onto the floor. Uh, so, but I think Bill could do quite well if, if he were in position, uh, to get three of those guys, for instance, uh, this doesn't happen. Uh, he's had a few, he's, you know, and, and has done better than most with singular guys. Uh, I mean, Josh, when he, I believe he only had one, the Josh Jackson year and they were, you know, they didn't play well in the regional final, but they got there. Uh, so he's done better than most when, when hat, when he has one or the one or one or so of those guys, uh, I, I think Bill can win with any, uh, good group of good players. He's among the best coaches in college basketball. And I'd say, you know, uh, when, when, when we got to the end of last season and you saw Villanova in another final four, I said at that point that I think Jay Wright is the best coach in college basketball, uh, <laughs> because, uh, uh, Mike Krzyzewski was still there, uh, 
Um, but he was kind of like the Jack Nicklaus winning the Masters at 46 guy, you know. I mean, he wasn't the best player, but he's still capable of winning the Masters. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I thought that Mike was kind of in that position. Um, but then Jay left, too. So that leaves Bill. I mean, he's, he's your, you know, and, and, and that's not any kind of insult. Because, I mean, to be in the same sentence with those guys and to now be, you know, considered superior to Tony Bennett and Mick Cronin and, uh, and Tom Izzo and Matt Painter and, and so many other great coaches, but I think uh, Bill's the best in the game right now, uh, and and I you know I, so I think he can win. He'll find a way to make uh, any group of players that he has that he's assembled uh, into something special. He is Mike DeCourcy. Highly recommend going to check out that article. It's really good on on the, these all one and done teams and kind of di- uh, dispelling that narrative, so to speak. Mike, I appreciate you taking some time out of your day and hopping on with me. Happy to do it. I enjoyed the conversation very much. All right, that was Mike DeCourcy of Sporting News. I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Two hours down, one to go.